0: They've all been different, right? So, all the Gospels tell a little bit different story of the birth of Jesus. And uh, John is the weirdest. Just get ready. Um, Mark was the first chronologically. He gave the fewest details. He hardly mentions it because it's like hot on the scene. Here's the details, breaking news. Matthew comes along and he's going to explore it more in depth and he talks about all the Jewish impact of it to get all the Jewish believers to really appreciate that Christ is the promised Messiah, descendant of King David. And here he is. And then Luke gets really detailed and Luke goes around and interviews people and he takes all kinds of notes and he's got firsthand accounts from Mary and from uh, All kinds of people that were there, that were there to see it. And he writes his. And then, a couple decades later, John, knowing full well all of the letters of the New Testament have already been written and circulated. Okay? So think that through for a minute. Acts, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Romans... Ephesians, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, all of those have already been written and sent out and read and lived out. The whole book of Acts has been lived out and done and written down. And so now John is going to write his gospel. So, you know how we love prequels? Like as people... We love to hear the backstory, that's why all these Star Wars movies got so popular. The first Star Wars comes out in the 70s, and it's part four, and everybody freaks out, and they're like, what? It's part four? There's three other movies we haven't seen. And then 30 years later, they come out with these three movies that tell the backstory, and everybody loves it, right? And that's like the big deal that's going on on TV now they got the origin story of Batman, and, and that was super popular. And the origin story of Wonder Woman, and oh that we love like, to go back and to dig deeper into the details. That's what John does. John, after all the stories have been written, after everything's been put on paper and it's been lived out for a couple decades, John says, okay, now you guys, are you ready? For, like, the real deal backstory, because I'm going to give it to you. And he begins. In the beginning, this is John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Some translations say He was in the beginning with God. It's totally cosmic and like far out. And what in the world does that even mean? Like, Don't do drugs, kind of. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and he was with God and he, and he was with God and, and he was beginning God. All right, so we have to rewind to about 600 BC to really get a good bite of this. In 600 BC, there was a Greek philosopher named Heraclitus. And he's the first the first place where they've they've written down and they've kind of locked into the word logos. And logos is what word is. So when in the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with God, and the logos was God. And when they talked about logos, the word for logos was the word. So you're getting kind of cosmic. Okay, the word. What word? The words that God speak. The words that God would say. The, the, the outpouring. When God wants to express himself, he speaks. And the thing that he says is the logos. And so who doesn't want to hear that? Everybody wants to hear whatever God has to say, right? So there's this rabbi. And he wrote, he paraphrased when, um, when Jacob took a nap on a rock. And he had this vision of angels going up and down from heaven. And he wakes up and he says, If the word of the Lord will be my help and will keep me and protect me, then the word of the Lord will be my God. Isn't that weird that he would say that? If the word of the Lord will protect me and be my hope, then the word of the Lord will be my God. Jacob said that when he was getting ready to go and like get a wife and all that business. That was how equal God's word is what he was. You, you can't see God, you can't know God, but you can hear his words and you can read his words. And so the word of God became equal in power and in presence to God himself. You know how, like, if I'm going to borrow your lawnmower... I will bring it back by tomorrow. Then what do I say? I give you my word. That goes back to when a person's word represented themselves. Like I promise I promise you on behalf of myself, on behalf of who I am, I'm going to bring your lawnmower back by tomorrow. Very unsafe thing to do, right? You can't control the weather. You can't control the flat tire on your truck but people would swear by themselves. I give you my word. And so that all of that meaning is packed into, in the beginning, was the word of God, the spoken word, the thoughts of God that God would speak out. He was in the beginning. Wait a minute, it just said he. He, the spoken word of God, the, the thoughts of God that God would speak out, Is a he. And he was with God. Verse 3 says. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything. Made that was made. So everything that exists. Was made by the word of God. Which is a he. So it's not just that God. Spoke it and it existed. God spoke. And the thing that he spoke was a guy, and by that guy, everything existed. Right? This is is a really cosmic Sunday, okay? Bear with me. So, it's like God says, I give you my word. I give you myself. And what do we get? We get Jesus. When God gives his word, when God gives his promise, he gives himself himself. And what we get is this man named Jesus. So in Hebrews, yep, we're going to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, it says that in the past, long ago, the the writer of Hebrews starts out, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So God would speak to his people. He He wouldn't speak through Every single person like he does by the Holy Spirit now. He would speak to a whole group of people through a prophet. In the past, long ago, many times, many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Whoa. He's not speaking by prophets anymore. He's speaking by his very own son. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Wow. He's trying to communicate to us. God God wants to talk to you. God wants to speak to everybody I work with. God wants to speak to everybody in our families. And sometimes in the past, He spoke through prophets to people like that. But now... He's speaking through his son, his very own son. It says the heir and the creator. So the awesome thing about being an heir, I think I talked about this before. If I'm an heir of all of my my rich uncle's stocks and bonds and inheritance, do I have to check the Wall Street Journal every day to see how that's doing? Nope. Do I have to have a sophisticated home security system to guard it? Nope, because it's at his house, right? But if I need any of it, since I'm the heir, I can call up my uncle and say, yo, rich uncle, I need a new car. All right, Dan. Yeah, right. The heir doesn't have to be responsible for the riches. All the heir has to do is be in the family. Actually, technically, not really. All the heir has to do is be the heir, right? And that's, Jesus was the heir. And he, he came and he brings it, and then we get adopted. I'm getting ahead of myself. We get adopted in and we become heirs too. We, we're going to receive the same, it says it later in Hebrews, we get the same inheritance that Jesus Christ will receive and has received. So he's the heir, he's the creator. We already read in John 1, it says in Genesis, that God created with a word. And the word is Jesus, and he was with God in the beginning, and through him everything was made. Everything that's created was made through Jesus. It goes on to say in Hebrews that Jesus is the exact imprint of his being. That Jesus is the exact imprint of God. That's why when Philip would say, Jesus, they know Jesus is about ready to leave. And Philip says, Show us the Father. And Jesus says to Philip, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, there's a guy at Schnooks that asked Isaac if I was his dad. And I have to think, it's because we kind of look similar, right? That happens. He's the exact. Jesus was the exact. Jesus, when you saw Jesus, you'd be like, I think he looks a lot like his dad. Yeah, you would say that like times a thousand because he was the exact representation of his father. And so God gives a promise to us. He gives his spoken word. He, He says, I give you my word. I'm going to be with you. And when he gives his word, it's Jesus. It's this man born alive. Now we've got to flip back to John. Nothing was made without him that wasn't made. So he already existed. It's It's not that Jesus didn't exist until Christmas. It's that Uh, There's a there's a Christmas book we've been reading and it it says it's it's a children's book. You know, it's one of those Christmas children's books that the parents read it and cry. And all the kids just think it's this pretty story. And the parents are like, this is so awesome. Uh, Says that God opened the back door of the universe and stepped in through Bethlehem into a baby. And he can't, you know, as a baby. That that's he was already made. He, Jesus already existed. And he, he stepped in on Christmas. Everything was made already or by him. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This you you know this is true as you start to hear. Some of the, you you don't see it on the news. You hear it on the underlying stories that that come way, way after the news, right? You see Tiananmen Square and you see uh, slaughters and massacres and all kinds of bad stuff. And then like five years later, you see this thing happening and these people say, yeah, we were in that and I just cried out to the Lord to save me and he saved me. Or uh, the, um, what's the Hotel Rwanda and the genocide in in, um, Rwanda, duh. And uh, this lady, heard this this story this summer about a lady that spent like a month in a bathroom with seven other women hiding. And the people came to, to arrest her, and she said, she said, Jesus, I've never believed in you before, but if you keep that door shut, I will follow you my whole life. And they searched every single room of the house. They searched the attic. They pulled the insulation out of the attic. They went to the bathroom door. And when they touched the doorknob, they said, Oh, you're a good guy. You wouldn't keep anybody hidden in here. And they all left. And I mean, absolute miracle. So the light shines and the darkness can't comprehend it. Can't grasp it. Can't stop it. Uh, I encourage you, there's a really good book called Jesus Freaks. And it's kind of a modern day, easier to read version of Fox's Book of the Martyrs. And it tells stories of guys that were like in prisons and being tortured and all this stuff. And God coming to them and saying, this is my only way to reach these police. You have to be a testimony to them. And then these guys would witness to these horrible, corrupt police. Because those guys were never going to go to a church. So God brought the church to them. Light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. That's a fact. It might be discouraging. You might think think when you pray for this horrible situation. This horrible thing that's happened. And all you do is think about more and more horrible. More and more horrible. More and more horrible. Start looking at the Bible. Look Look at what wins. How awful was Easter, right? Well, how awful was Good Friday? All hope was lost. Peter, everybody knew Peter was going to be the second in command when Jesus took his kingdom. And now Peter is abandoned. Jesus is dead. Hopeless upon hopeless. The guys to, on the road to Emmaus, they say to this guy that they don't recognize, haven't you heard what horrible things have happened in Jerusalem? We thought that the hope of Israel was happening. And then it says that the guy that they saw on the road that they didn't recognize started with the prophets, went all the way through Moses, and told them about how the Messiah had to suffer. And then they recognized that it's Jesus. So suffering is built into it. Bad, awful stuff is built in. It's going to come with it. But it will not overcome it. It will not win. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Um, All right, I got to do a little aside. One time I preached on this at a youth camp and we made the whole room pitch dark and I had this like 400 watt spotlight for theatrical, theatrical lighting and all the kids' pupils got like super big because it was pitch dark. And I was talking about how light shines in the darkness and I turned that thing on and I shined it in the crowd and like... Light, some of the kids said, light hurt. Like they were so used to darkness. How's that for a parable? They were so used to darkness that light hurt. But then when I shined it straight up for all to see, it lit up the whole... I mean, it was like brighter in there than this. With one light lit up that whole room powerfully. The light shines in the darkness. The darker it is, the brighter a light shines. And that's, that's you guys. That's all of us. Wherever we are. That's, that's our chance. Alright. So Logos. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. That word, Logos, has another meaning. Oh yes. It was also talked about as the supreme truth of the universe. Like the thing that everybody is after. This, the mystery of the universe. The secret of the universe. The explanation. The purpose of life. They said, we can't contain that in one word. We're just going to call it logos. Because theoretically, I mean, you want to get into etymology. Theoretically, the word of God, whatever God says, and in their thoughts it would be the gods or whoever the the highest deity is, whatever he says is the supreme rule of the universe. So the supreme cause, the supreme purpose of everything, the meaning of life, if you will, is the Logos. So let's do like we do and read it that way. In the beginning was the meaning of life. And the meaning of life was with God, and the meaning of life was God. Okay. He, he being the meaning of life, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was. there wasn't anything that was made. Isn't that awesome how John would use that too? That John would use that word so packed to say, man, you guys, Jesus, he's the meaning of life. He's the supreme purpose of the universe. He is God's promise to us. When God swears, when God says, I give you my word, there's Jesus. And it's not just Jesus, baby Jesus, it's Jesus's complete life. So the whole of Jesus's life is God's promise and God's deposit and God's affirmation of what he says is true. Isn't that wild? So now when you start to look at, okay, wait, so it's not just Jesus showing up that's God's promise to us. It's the whole thing. So look at, all right, so John chapter one, verse nine, that this is what he did, because now we're talking, it's not just baby Jesus in the crib, born is God's promise, it's the whole life of Christ. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Didn't know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of a man, but of God. So Jesus comes and he completely changes the nature of the universe. You're in a family... Now, not based on who's your grandpa, grandpa's grandpa. You're in a family now based on, do you believe God is real? Do you believe God is true? And with that, you're a part of his family. He came in the flesh to show us that. I got a little picture of this one time. Uh, I was working at the rescue mission. And I was walking around the building like I did, checking everything out. And the laundry room was just awful i mean it was just yeah i won't give you any details it was trashed it was such a mess and i was like why is this like this and they were like well the guy that's in charge of the laundry always sleeps i was like well let's have him sleep in his bed and not in the laundry room and we're going to do things different so i was trying to figure out what i should do How do how do i handle this the right way what how do i you know not make anybody mad and not step on anybody's toes, not offend anybody. It was the same night that Chick fil A got all new furniture. Okay? That's important. So Chick fil A gets all, not this recent time, but the time like five, six years ago, whatever it was. Chick fil A said, hey, rescue mission, if you can send a whole bunch of guys down to take it, you can have all of our old furniture. There's just one catch. It has to be gone between when we close and midnight. All the furniture in a Chick-fil-A. Can you imagine? Because at midnight, the new furniture is going to show up and it all be installed so we can open up in time to serve breakfast. (laughs) So then, what's going to happen? All the guys are going to be out of the building. Because all the guys were going to go help take apart this thing. All the guys are out of the building. I can slip in. And I can clean up the laundry room. And just, and talking to my wife, I'm like, I'm just going to go in there. I'm going to crank up the stereo. I'm just going to sing and worship God. And just put on rubber gloves and a face mask and a hazmat suit and goggles. And eat peppermints. And do the whole thing. Just clean it up. So that's what I did. And I'm in there. And it, yeah, it was nasty. And I'm cleaning it all up and just making it awesome. And all the guys got done at about 10.30. And I'm in there, and I look up, and a whole bunch of the dudes in my program are standing at the door, and they're looking at me. And I'm—I mean, I'm—I'm I'm trashed. The—you you know how when you clean the thing that you're cleaning, all of a sudden gets clean, and you get—yeah, that's how I was. And this one guy says, and I had only worked there for maybe four months. This guy says, now you can be our pastor. And they all left. And I was like, whoa, I did not, that was my, not, I, I just wanted to clean up their laundry room, right? And just fix that whole system. But by being right there, flesh and blood, in the muck, on my knees, getting nasty and all the scum, they, they knew that I identified, right? Now, did I go and do that and be that for me? Did I have to do that? No. I mean, I could just write a memo. Hey, clean up the laundry room or you're all kicked out. Right? No. I did it. I mean, I did it for them to save them some trouble. That's why I cleaned up. But I think God got in there and intervened and helped me to get caught so that they would know that I could identify with them. So Jesus... Created everything. Made it all. He wrote us memos. Get it right or you're out. Right? That's what the prophets were. That's what Moses said. We didn't get it. And we couldn't get it. We couldn't understand it. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to go and I'm just going to show him. And I'm going to do it. And by doing that, not only, I mean, God, Jesus knew what it was like to be a man. But in Hebrews, it says that he learned obedience from submission and suffering. So Jesus learned something, even though he already knew everything. And I think he learned it so that we could watch him, so that we could catch him and see him. And now that we've seen that Jesus has suffered, we can say, man, that guy could be my God. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to show up at the house of a little girl that's died. Right? He's been there. All those people are crying. He knows what it's like for his friend, Lazarus, to die. And he shows up late. He's been through it. It says in Hebrews, he's suffered in every way that every man has suffered. And it's capital M, so women too, right? He's suffered in every way. That we could possibly know. He knows it. He, and he doesn't make a light of it. And he doesn't say. Yeah well when I was a kid I had to. No. He is, he is like yes. Oh I hate that when that happens. I felt that. I know what that's like. So he comes into our creation. Recreating. Remaking. The whole fundamental structure of everything you want to know what he did even more flip over to philippians 2 this this is the apostle paul and he's going around and he's telling people here's what jesus did jesus came from god here's what he did and he and he says this thing and in your bible it might be indented special because they think that this was even a song in the first century church but he says uh Don't do anything from selfish ambition and conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Why does he say that? Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Why does he say that? Because, the next verse 5, have this, this mind among you. Think that way, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus gives you a new mind, a new way of thinking. And here's what he was like. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't say, Jesus wasn't born in a manger so that he could grow up and proclaim himself equal to God. He grew up so that he could be emptied. He emptied himself and took the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He didn't didn't just submit himself to possible death by illness or by accident or by old age. He submitted himself to death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So when God gave his word, God says, I give you my word that I am for you, not against you. Jesus is that word. And it's not just baby Jesus in the in the manger. It is the whole life of Jesus. The life of Jesus is God's promise to you. That he puts it into you. So that this ends this section of John. In verse 18. And, and I, I wrote down the Net Bible. The Net Bible really nails it. No one has ever seen God. No one, no one has ever seen God. But the only one who is himself God who is in closest fellowship with the Father, has made Him known. Jesus has made Him known to us. God made Himself known to us by Jesus. So, as you celebrate Christmas, as you celebrate, we celebrate the prosperity of the King by giving each other presents, right? The king is victorious, which means everyone in his kingdom is victorious, and we celebrate that with gifts, with singing, with joy. Just know that God has given you his word and his promise, and that promise is the life of Christ that is still living on. Because remember, just before he died, Jesus said, I'm going to go away, and another one is going to come that will teach you everything. And that's the Holy Spirit who lives in us right now. Awesome. So Christmas is a big deal. Let's pray. Lord, You came and You dwelled among us and You lived and You are tremendous. We thank You, Lord, that You teach us and guide us in all these things and that You help us along. You help us to Grasp the ungraspable and wrap our minds around the unwrappable that you are, Lord. I pray that you would grow in us and help us to really appreciate you and, and expand in the depths and the knowledge of your love. We would be confident that you gave your word that you love us. Thank you, Lord. Amen.